Well, friends, if you were here last week, you know that um, this is a two-part message, so we'll be reading the uh, scripture passage from last week, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, and uh, we read it with uh, fresh eyes and fresh ears this morning. The parable of the bags of gold, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. We read, again, it, which is the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved in Christ, as I mentioned last week, we began the message on the parable of the bags of gold. Today we finish it. Do you remember what we said biblical principle number one was? We said God owns it all, everything. It's all God's gold. We said three implications came from that principle. Knowing them helps us grow in our relationship to God, helps us grow spiritually, related to God's gold. Number one, God has the right to whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. That makes every one of our money decisions a spiritual decision. Practically, it means that we have a responsibility to regularly check the place that reveals our giving patterns. Checkbook, bank statement, budget on the computer, cell phone app. It's all God's gold. Knowing and practicing those implications helps us grow. That's the 
Reader's Digest condensed, condensed, condensed version of last week's sermon. If you weren't here, you're all caught up, okay? Second biblical principle. Let's first do this. Compare verse 21 and verse 23. Let's read them. Their responses by the master to the first two servants, the one who was given five bags of gold and the one who was given two bags of gold. Verse 21, read it with me. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And now check out verse 23. Exact same words there. Identical. I checked the original Greek text, same words. Identical. Which leads us to biblical principle number two. The amount we have is unimportant. How we handle what we have been entrusted with is very important. The amount we have is unimportant. Five, two, one. If God wants to bless us with much, great. If God wants to bless us with little, great. It's all his anyway. It's all his. Don't forget number one there. The practical application here is that whatever we have, it's all God's. We hold on to with an open hand. Did you hear how the first two servants approached the master when he returned? The text says the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Second servant, same thing. I picture these two men coming to the master with their hands open. See this million bucks in my right hand. Look what I got in my left hand. A million more for you. See this 500,000? 500,000 more for you. It's as if they can't wait to come before him and give an account. Can't wait to show them what they have done. Can't wait to place it all back in his hands. They hold it with an open hand. Is that how we are? That's what we have to ask ourselves. We allow him to entrust us with more if he chooses. And we allow him to take whatever he wants. It's all his. Same attitude, rich or poor, an attitude of an open hand. He can take it all from me, no matter how much he's given me to begin with. Or he can add to it, no matter how much he's given me to begin with. The amount entrusted is unimportant, but the attitude we develop, that determines how we handle what has been entrusted. This is all important, the attitude of the open hand. Take it. It's yours, Lord. See, here you are. Look what I made with it. Take it back. It's yours. No matter how much I have. Bless me with more. That's fine too. Whatever you want to do. The amount doesn't matter. But I'll keep it with an open hand and I'll take care to handle it well for you. That's principle number two. Whatever amount you have, it is important to handle it well with an open hand. I'm sure a lot of us are tempted to think another way. You know, if God ever gets around to blessing me with a little more, well, then, then I'll be careful to handle it God's way with an open hand. Tony Evans, an African-American preacher, I'm sure I've told you this, said it like this, the question isn't 
what you going to do with the million bucks that's not your lot. The question is, what you going to do with the buck 25 that you do have, that you do got? Whatever amount you have, it's important to handle it well. Five, two, one million bucks, dollar 25, handle it all with an open hand, with a ready-to-give-it-up hand, with an if God wants it, I'll give it hand, an open hand. Third principle we get from what happens to the third servant. Third servant represents what James said in James chapter 2. James said, faith without deeds is what? Dead. That's the plight of the third servant. He is thrown out of the kingdom into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because he buried what the master gave him. He killed all its potential and made his own faith worthless. Third principle is this. Faith requires action, even financial action. The two go hand in hand. I trust God. I have faith in God. God has blessed me richly. I believe that Jesus died for me, but don't come near my cash, Lord. I trust God. I know God wants me to offer myself to him. I believe that, but not the wallet, please. Everything but the checkbook. I'll activate my faith any other way you want, but the stock portfolio doesn't count. Give me a grace period on those, would you, Lord? Financial giving, that, that particular fruit of my faith, I need that fruit to, to lie dormant for a while. I believe in God. I, I believe Jesus took all away my sins. I, I know he expects me to give of my resources, but I'm listening carefully also to what the world says. And the world says, well, you need to accumulate. The world says, oh, what I wouldn't give to be a $1.3 billion Powerball winner. So I just better sit back just think about this for a while, bide my time. I'd hate to make a mistake financially, biblically. I feel good about accumulating a ton of wealth and sitting on it and hiding it in a hole in the ground, the third guy, so I feel good about it, then it, it must be right. And the problem with that is the biblical principle is faith requires action, not inaction, not inertia, not dormant fruit. We know what we ought to do. Give back to the Lord. Give him what is his, and we need to do it, not think about doing it for a while until we conveniently and thankfully forget. Phew. Action isn't supposed to follow right. Action is. Action is supposed to follow right on the heels of faith. It's not supposed to lag 30 miles or 30 years behind. Fourth biblical principle is a curious one. Verse 21, again, his master replied, you remember it, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. The principle is this, with regard to our stewardship of time and talent and, well, God's treasure too, during our earthly life, we are in a training time, a growth process. During our lives, God is using money and possessions as a training circuit for us. Using money to train us, to get us ready 
for the next life. He says, you have been faithful in a little now, so I'll put you in charge of a lot in eternity. Now, that's curious, isn't it? That makes the imagination run a little bit, doesn't it? What can that mean? Little now? A lot later? Hard to understand. But the principle is there. God uses the resources he gives us, he entrusts us with as a proving ground, a growth process for training purposes. How does the training work? God uses money, gets our attention with it, and then uses money as a tool, as a test, and as a testimony to train us, to help us grow. In God's training program, money is, first of all, a tool, an effective tool. God uses to grow us up, to mature us. So this changes the way we look at changes. Let's say our financial situation changes, is reduced. What will you say to God? What will your question be? Well, if money is God's tool to grow us up, the question should be, Lord, what do you want me to learn here? What do you want me to learn? Rather than, Lord, why are you doing this to me? If money is God's tool to grow us, the question is always, with each new situation, Lord, what do you want me to learn about? Dependence on you? Wisdom? Compassion? Priorities? Generosity? Patience? What do you want me to learn with this change in my financial situation? Money is a tool God uses to get our attention. It's an attention grabber, isn't it? I mean, you see a couple of hundred dollar bills lying on the ground outside the grocery store, and man, that gets your attention. People move faster in that situation than they do if they're late for school. Money grabs our attention. Did you ever stop to think, God may very well be the one getting your attention with it, using it as his tool. And it doesn't matter whether we are in a situation of abundance or in a situation of apparent lack of financial resources or somewhere in the middle. The question then needs to be, Lord, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to discover about myself and about my relationship to you? It's God's training tool. Start seeing it that way. My son Grant made me learn something. Don't all look at him. He's over there. Don't look at him. My son Grant made me learn something the other day. It wasn't about money per se, but the principle is the same. Exact same principle. We went to a funeral visitation together. My next door neighbor died. It was pouring rain. And I offered to, to drop Grant off under the carport. And he said, no, I'll run. I'll run. So I said, we can share my umbrella. It's pouring. No, I'll run. Okay. And we parked next to an elderly lady who was sitting in her car. And Grant says to me, when you go past her with your umbrella, you should point to it and ask her if she needs it or if she wants to share it with you. And my immediate reaction was, no, I'm not going to do that. 
too complicated. A little creepy. But he cajoled me into doing it, as sons do. He took off running, and then I went, and I pointed at the umbrella as I passed the lady. And she opened her window a bit, and I asked her if she needed the umbrella. She said, no, I'll be fine. I'll run. <laughs> Nobody wants an umbrella. Okay. My immediate reaction was to keep holding on to what I had and learn nothing and grow not at all in service or compassion. But Grant schooled me. And I learned a little lesson about being generous with what I had, in this case, an umbrella that no one wanted. In a similar way, God uses money to train us, to grow us up closer to him. In that training, secondly, God also uses money as a test for us in a mysterious way. I don't understand. This parable suggests that somehow my eternal position and reward, listen to this, are wrapped up and determined irrevocably by my faithfulness in handling the property that has been entrusted to me by God. Let that sink in. Time, talent, knowledge, personality, gifts, and yes, even treasure, even money, even resources, my eternal position and reward are mysteriously going to be determined by how I perform on this test of God's. Not just mine, all of yours too. God uses money as a test. It reminds me of another, another story. I, I love it, and, and I, I know I've told you before, but once upon a time, so you know it's not true, but once upon a time, there was a rich man, and he was very near death, and he was so sad because, because he'd worked hard his whole life for his money, and he, and he wanted to be able to take that money with him to heaven. So he began to pray about that every single night. And an angel hears his prayer. There's terrible theology in this story. An angel hears his prayer and says, sorry, I know you've been praying about this, but you can't take your money with you. Naked you came into the world, naked you depart, says so right in the Bible, a few times even. But the man urges the angel, please speak to God to see if he might bend the rules just this once. He keeps praying that his money could somehow follow him. One day the angel reappears and informs the man that, well, God has heard his earnest prayers and has decided to allow him to take one carry-on suitcase with him. And the man is so happy. He goes to the bank and he withdraws thousands of dollars and he's worked hard for all his life and worked his fingers to the bone for and he exchanges all that cash for gold bars. He puts, his, he puts them in his carry-on all nice and neat. He keeps it right at the front door, ready to go. And one day the man dies. He shows up at the gates of heaven to greet St. Peter always St. Peter. Peter sees the man's carry-on and said, sir, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't bring that in here. But the man explains, well, he has a special permission. So Peter verifies his story with the angel, comes back, gives the man the good news. But he adds, well, you know, I, I have to check your carry-on just to be safe. It needs to be safe. The man says, sure. And he 
he gleefully unzips his carry-on, and there's all that gold. And Peter unexpectedly bursts out laughing. What did you bring pavement for? Beloved, I'd hate to have only done as well on the monetary portion of God's test to only receive a reward of a suitcase full of pavement. I pray that we are all more faithful than that financially as God continues to use money as a test for us. What a curious thing, though, this this parable teaching that using the resources God has given us is a test from God. And how do we, how we do on that test has something to do with what kind of reward, position, responsibility we will have in the life to come. How important it is then to be wise and generous and stewardly and compassionate and loving and cheerful and kingdom builders in the use of the money God has blessed us with. Third, God, in his training of us, also uses our use of his resources as a testimony to the world. We are called to be salt and light in the world. Can an attitude toward wealth by a Christian, where you can't tell it apart from a non-Christian's attitude, can that attitude truly be a testimony Can that attitude truly be salt and light for the world? A living testimony for Christ. Can my attitude toward wealth, if it's identical to a worldly, selfish, materialistic, consumeristic attitude on wealth, can my attitude be used by God as a testimony to the world? I doubt it. But you see, that's what God wants it to be. He wants us to look different from the world. He wants us to be a testimony for Christ, even the handling of our wealth and finances. And so even our day-to-day use of money is to be a testimony to Christ. We are in God's training program for our growth, and God uses money as a tool, as a test, as a testimony to make us grow up in him. We end with something to know and something to do. First, know this. When you put all these things we've said together um, from last week and this week, you've got a working definition of stewardship, I believe. Ron Blue, an expert on stewardship, came up with it. Stewardship is the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. Simple. Great definition. Beloved, we need to fit into that, live into that definition, growing into stewards for Christ. That's something to know. Let that definition infiltrate your mind and heart. And now second, something to do. Two things. First, we need to recognize over and over again the truth that that we do, we do fall into sin in our misuse of money. We need to recognize those sins when we commit them. Recognize that how we use our money is more than likely an area of our lives in which we sin. We try to cover it up, even from ourselves. But covering it up is the last thing we should do. It needs to be confessed, not covered up. We need to confess it before God and seek his forgiveness by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, and he'll give it. 
honestly, this is surely an area in our lives where we need God's forgiveness. It's also an area in our lives that needs prayer, prayer for wisdom and compassion, wisdom to know what is important to use God's money for, compassion to open our eyes to the dire needs that are in this world. We need to pray for wisdom and compassion. One of the, one of the things that's on my heart, I'm sure many of you, is, the, is this earthquake, right? World Renew, our, our denominational mercy ministry that goes all over the world to help World Renew is, is just throwing it out there. Please, please give to help these earthquake victims. Worldrenew.net if you're tech savvy and want to look, learn more about that. And, and one more very tangible thing, go home today, write down a list of anything that you now possess about which until today, until today, you would have said, well, this is mine. I earned it. Write it all down. And then return the ownership of it to its rightful owner. And do that by writing along the top of the page, this is God's, not mine. It's all God's gold. Do that simple thing. Sign your name, even. Grow closer to God, for you'll see it in black and white. So I invite you to pray with me. It's just a simple prayer of commitment. Let's, let's go before God. God, whatever you're, you have given us, Whatever you've given us is yours, not ours. Help us not to misuse it. We commit ourselves today to you again. We commit our use of the gold, the money, the possessions that we have to you. That, that we would be responsible with it all. Grow us up closer to you by the way we handle your gold. And remind us, God, that these are eternal heavenly truths you've taught us in your word and these heavenly truths have earthly applications when it comes to handling your money for the sake of jesus we commit ourselves and for the sake of jesus we pray amen